The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal, from the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. Good morning. This is uh, Reverend Dr. Douglas Kringle, your host for this edition of Engaging Truth. And today we're honored to have as our guest, Reverend Mauricio Franco, who's currently serving as pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Harlingen, Texas, uh, along with his wife, Gladys, who apparently is starting to study for the Deaconess program. Welcome in, Pastor Franco. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me here this morning. I, what an honor is to be here and to be able to share with people what God is doing in around this place and around the world. We're glad to have you here. Now, my understanding is that you began your journey in the ministry in Colombia. That's Colombia, South America. And as of today, the U.S. State Department's website lists Colombia as a level three travel advisory, meaning uh Please reconsider your travel. Are you surprised that that's the case? Yeah, you know, with all this social media and all these things, I think it's elevated to another level. But I'm not surprised. Columbia has been one of the most dangerous places uh, for since the 80s uh, mm. because of the uh, drug trafficking and, and kidnapping. But uh, uh, we just went there last year, and, and it was was very peaceful. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, my understanding is that there's another Jesus then we just want to be clear from the beginning that we're here talking about Jesus of Nazareth, the resurrected Christ, but there is also the Colombian general, Jesus Armado, who has been cited for gross human rights violations recently. Uh, when you lived in Colombia, Pastor Franco, were you aware of these human rights violations? Was that something that was evident? Oh, it was clear uh, from, from many years since the 70s, I think it started to show up a uh, bit evidence around where we live in our communities yeah well colombia is located in that uh, connective tissue from central america panama just south of colombia and then venezuela and connecting with two oceans the caribbean and the pacific so it has a lot of reasons why there's traffic that comes through colombia because it's its uh, geopolitical location now with that background, how did you end up coming to live and to serve our Lord Jesus in the United States of America? Well, a few words by grace. <laughs> you know, that's that's what we pro proclaim. Uh, by grace, we have done this. But uh, it was it was been a long journey. You know, I'm 49 years old. Uh, uh, it just uh, been a long journey since uh, I got here. It was 1990 when uh, the Lord brought me here to the United States. I was 15. And uh, I had to leave because uh, they were trying to kill me. They Ooh. killed my sister uh, years years before. But the guy who who was there decided that he didn't want any anyone to take revenge. So he he went to he went after me. Ooh. And uh, thank God, my mom was able to bring me here to Chicago, and then that's where I, I start uh, my journey there. And God, little by little, was putting this seed in there. Uh, ever since I was little. I knew that I wanted to be part of, of the ministry, and it was a calling, and maybe out of anger, uh, that I want to be part of the ministry to break the ministry, to, to break the uh, system. Uh, I was uh, 
born with our father uh and then i grew up with our father colombia in the uh 70s and 60s the the roman catholic church was very uh in controlling in, in the culture and therefore i was not able to be baptized because Ooh. i didn't have a father who was also a roman catholic and i didn't have anyone to sign my uh baptismal certificate Ooh. and then when i was six my mom was uh able to remarry and that's when i got my last name franco finally but meanwhile i still remember before six years old that even at school uh got kind of bullied because usually in south america or latin america you have two names two last names mm. and in, in there when you are in school when you are when your last name starts with a you are the one of the first ones uh, because my full name is jose mauricio franco arango i mean it's a whole uh, a full uh, ABC letters in there, but uh, uh, when they called my name, I was the first ones, and and but they were called Jose Arango, and they, everybody knew he doesn't have a father, because that's where it ends. So when you get down, it's oh, he's the little bastard, he's the little kid, you know. The, is your daddy coming today for you? So that mm. got in my head. But mm. not only that, uh, hey, I, we mm. live across the street from a convent. Mm. where the nuns were uh residing and then my grandmother who was disabled was able to go to chapel there the mm. chapel was only for people who were with, with special needs and disabilities mm. so i would walk my grandma to across the street and when we got to to the chapel i was supposed to get out because i was, I was not welcome there first i was not baptized that chapel was only for baptized people mm. so uh i would get out and then i was I stay outside i remember sunday morning 6 a.m and i'll start hearing domini patri and then starts the whole mass in, in latin and i said well you didn't give me a father uh, i don't have a last name i cannot even be baptized now can i even understand what they're saying one day i will know what they're saying and that's how i started you know getting working in my head and then finally my grandma <clears throat> was a great motivator for me to to be in the faith uh, she was always praying always even at her age, she would go around the neighborhood to look for me, make sure that I was not hanging around with the wrong crowd and always uh, calling me out in those moments. So it, it was a great privilege. That's when it starts in 1974 in, in, in Medellin, Colombia. And it was one of the toughest moments in, in Colombia uh, for Medellin. Yeah, everybody's, I just met some people here crossing the border uh, where we are and they say, uh, we heard about Medellin, people from Colombia, we heard about Medellin, but we didn't know how big how dangerous it was until we were able to live there years later so it was quite an experience to be there in colombia oh. yeah now where is where are you speaking in comparison to say bogota well bogota is the capital uh even though it's the capital medellin works as the capital in reality oh. Oh. It, ha okay. it has uh what well, it has a lot of uh tourist attractions it has a lot of government uh, uh, bases over there. So Medellin is is, is about uh, it's about five hours away from uh, by car, you know, through uh, um, just driving. It's not that far from Medellin, but uh, Medellin. And I think it had to do too with the climate. The climate in Medellin was, you no. Know, they call it the eternal spring. It's 65, 75 all year round. So oh, that sounds terrific. Really, yeah. Now, um, you mentioned earlier, just briefly, that your life was threatened. 
And yeah, so, as a young man, and this happened in Colombia before you came to America, is that correct? Yes, yes. So when, uh, in, in, after, uh, I was baptized in, in 19, uh, six years, 1980. And then um, my mom, uh, as she remarried, uh, or married, uh, she was having issues with my, uh, my stepfather who was abusive and who had a different family that we didn't know and mm. uh, end up that I have, you know, stepbrothers and all this. Mm. So my mom decided to come to the United States to Chicago uh, with the help of some family so that she can provide for us. And as she came here, my sister, uh, uh, who was older, who was five years older, uh, was able to, uh, she loved dancing. And so she, they will do these concerts and she'll be one of, one of the dancers and, she will have her own group. And on that, she was able to meet this person who invited her to be the beauty queen for the roses in Medellin. And if you notice, Walmart, all those roses come from Colombia. Uh, so they have a festival. And in there, she met this guy who was in, in, the, in the cartel. And then uh, she started you know, going out with him. And we would start uh, getting money to you know, for our finances. And we were being helped. But at one point, uh, she uh, her life was threatened because of their beauty. Two different guys wanted to go out with her, and uh, one guy yeah. killed her. And uh, and it's funny because the the new show in Netflix just came out, uh, Griselda, in Netflix came out, and it's uh, has to do with uh, some of the people I mentioned in there. Oh, really? So, <laughs> yeah. So it was it was. Uh, I didn't want to watch the whole thing. It just brings a lot of memories that I didn't want to. But yeah, I, so in 1988, my sister gets killed. In mm. 1990, uh, somebody approached me. Mm. Uh, I didn't like people to be bullied and uh, because I was bullied all my life, you know, before that, previously that. And uh, I was able to uh, stood up for, for another friend. And this, this boy, his uncle was in the mafia and his uncle approached me. And he says, I want to talk to you. He said, well, your nephew is, is, I thought he was talking to me about his nephew and that to be telling me, hey, those guys who are in the corner, they are going to kill you. Hmm. And they are, they don't miss any with the targets. I hired them and they're going to kill you. I said, well, why did I, what did I do? They haven't done anything. And he says, well, I don't know. Somebody else hired them. And so hmm. when I got to the house, uh, they, put, they, they had a shoebox, which was a bomb. And, but it was never, it never went off. They took some of the stuff from the house. And then later on, we found out that they keep looking for me. And then that's when I told my mom, mom, I need to leave before it's too late. So that's when I, so he was afraid, mostly afraid that I will grow up and become wealthy and take revenge on, on my sister's assassination. Well, I, um, my goodness, that is a trauma many times over. So sorry to hear about the death of your sister. And I would can only imagine that it would be traumatic and your own threatening of life there. Now you were able then to come to America and then you were, came to Chicago. Yeah. And you somehow became connected with the church uh, after all this trauma in Columbia. How did that happen for you? <laughs> well, from Chicago, uh, I was with my mom. Uh, uh, she had some health issues. So I was working and going to school in Chicago. Uh, and then uh, at one point, even the second day, I was in Chicago. <clears throat> I got here Saturday. On Monday night, I went for a walk. 
and it was November. It was real cold in Chicago, and I had this big jacket. I looked like a Christmas story, and I couldn't move with a jacket. And I saw this man, this young man. Uh, I thought he did this. I thought he says like, "Hey," but what in reality what he's doing was he was throwing a, a gang sign. <clears throat> and I didn't know. And I went back. Hey, again. So the from that moment, all two gangs wanted wanted me to be part because I was Colombian, Colombian. So the the Latin kings and the and the folks they want me to be. And I said, "No, I'm not a gang member." And uh, <clears throat> finally, I had to. Um, I had to uh, leave the city because of those issues, and and I went to Wisconsin. I went to Appleton, uh, uh, Wisconsin, and then in there, uh, I started working for a gentleman who was a Lutheran, mm. and he, he asked me to. Uh, he was also a Gideon, and mm. then he he asked me to uh, start giving away Bibles or organizing Bibles for. He was he had the warehouse for all the Gideons, so that's how I started. Going back and reading the Bible, <clears throat> and then just reading the story, just it grabbed me. Reading the Bible, it was just it was uh, captivating <clears throat> my mind. But one of the uh, the things about the the, the, the Colombian culture and, and during that time, and I think I think to this time too, they have this uh, myth that if you read the Bible, you will become crazy. <clears throat> so yeah, and so my mom. As he hears that I'm reading the Bible, he says, "Are you crazy? Are you gonna? You want to be crazy?" I said, "Well, this is capturing me. If this is crazy, I want to be crazy. This is <laughs> uh, you always like always trying to make it hard for me." I said, "No, just this is good." And then uh, after that, you know, I start uh, learning uh, to um, Moody Bible Institute, taking some correspondence. You know, I went to a non-denominational. You know, like. Yeah, there's no such thing as a non-denominational. Somebody had to learn somewhere, you know. <laughs> right, and, right. Uh, and and that to be Baptist, and they asked me to be baptized again. And of course, I wanted to do. I didn't know much theology, and so I I did it again. I know I committed the sin. I committed the sin, like Luther said. And uh, and I, but I did want it. It was like the Spirit was moving me to to follow Him. To and from there I, I really wanted to be in in, in ministry I started being part of the church uh, being part of Bible studies and all these activities and then uh, we uh, decided to move to to Arkansas oh. uh, because I was young and I couldn't buy a house uh, I couldn't buy a house in in, in in Wisconsin because I was young and you needed five years of income before you can buy it. and somebody offered a house by owner so I decided to move to Arkansas Wow, that, this is quite a journey uh, from yeah. Columbia to Chicago to Appleton, Wisconsin to Arkansas. Yeah, and I think there's more to be told here. But I want to also get to your present ministry. You ended up going to Concordia Seminary, St. Louis. Your wife is now a DCE student there. You were just sharing, and now you're down not in Wisconsin, Chicago, or Columbia, but somewhere in between. You're in Harlingen. Uh, Texas, which is just down there by South Padre. Uh, how is your ministry incorporating that life experience you have? What does ministry look like for you and Gladys? You know, when, when I went through all these difficult times, <clears throat> I always ask God, why me? Why me? Why this or why that? I mean, like, we always ask in, in, in the readings for uh, this week and in, in, in our readings, it talks about First Corinthians 9, where Paul says, I become all to all. I mean, in both sides, the introvert and the extrovert will go defend their opinions. No, that's not what it says, is that. 
but I think it's what it says. It is what it is to be all to all. I mean, even if we don't want to, we're called to be all to all. Uh, and in there, I, I, I look and I look back and I say, Lord, you were preparing me to be able to empathize with people. Uh, I've been divorced. Uh, I was divorced, uh, and and that's one of the things uh, we have a ministry here. We have a divorce care for people, and uh, so all these all these experiences have helped me a lot to adapt to the culture here. Uh, in here, we have about eighty five percent Hispanics, and these Hispanics are uh, a, a, they are four, five, six generation. Latino here in the United States. That, that means that I will say 95% or 98% speaks uh, English. Mm. And they, they prefer speaking English than Spanish. But mm. they have the Latino culture. They have, you know, they eat the Latino food. They, they do the Latino uh, community things. So that is how God has kind of blended in all the experiences to come here. And it has been relative... I would say it's God doing it because uh, it's like when it says in Isaiah that they will fly and, and, and not get weary and they will run and not get tired. And, and it, it seems like that. It seems like God is doing the whole work. And well, it, you mentioned to me the other day, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you mentioned uh, that there are people, as there are quite a few who are many generations in America, there are some people anyhow <laughs> who are crossing over the border in need of care. Uh, I don't know if you would feel free to share the story you shared with me the other day, but uh, apparently you have been able to render pastoral care for these individuals. Yes. Uh, so when I was here, uh, you always, when you're at the border, you always wonder what it was on the other side. What was there? You know, all these things on the news. So um, a couple of years ago, we decided to cross the border and see what was there. I've been here five years in almost six years in this area. So a couple of years ago, we decided to go, and lo and behold, I, I saw a lot of, of Hispanics, uh, especially from uh, Venezuela and Honduras and all the central south part of, of, of America. So when, when I crossed that border, uh, the, the first thing that the, uh, the church here, especially since now churches, they, they go by political views. Uh, they will say they are illegals, and and they are not. If they are here, if they are crossing the border, they can. The way they do it, they cannot be illegal. They had to wait for a paperwork to be signed by immigration, so they can cross the border, then surrender to immigration, then process whatever uh, petition they have, either uh, universal visas, humanitarian visas, or uh, political asylum. So when I saw that on the other side of the border, I, I, I thought, you know, what a good way to proclaim to these people the good news of Christ. The guy who is a foreigner knows what, what it is to be a foreigner, knows to, what, what it means to cross the borders. So in there, I, I visited a lot of shelters and, and saw a lot of people. One of, I think I mentioned to you one, one, one instance, uh, these ladies, that, two ladies that... Um, they have their, their same gender love, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and and when they were uh, when I was giving food to the community to the people in the shelter, they didn't want to receive from me because I have my color, my clergy, and credit. And uh, I approached them. I said, "Hey, uh, would you like to have some food?" And says, "No." I said, "Come on, eat it." So they ate it, 
And and she says, "What are you doing this?" So we start talking. Say, "Hey, just I know what, what it feels like to be hungry." So here, here it is, and and they were cold. So I had to give them my jacket, and then I had another jacket in my vehicle. So I go get the other jacket and give it to the other one. Lo and behold, so I was able to connect with another church up north, and then uh, uh, I connected them. And uh, nowadays, I have been told by the pastor that these ladies who profess or believe in same gender love <laughs> they decided to uh, uh to date another person and then one of them is engaged to a gentleman and is like like we were talking they they crossed more than one border <laughs> they crossed uh, some other borders as well as the yeah, the political borders uh, now before we conclude we have just a few minutes left pastor thanks again for your time here at your ministry, we in the church would love to support your efforts. What could we do to support your efforts, Gladys's efforts, the people there at St. Paul? What what might we do to help? So uh, this last year in December, I was praying, Lord, what do you want us to do in 2024 here in Colombia? Uh, I think where we are perfectly positioned, where we live, learn, work, and play here in this area. What do you call us to do? And one of the things that comes back to my mind all the time was to make sure to uh, work with the bones you got. And there's a, there's a lot of people in the church right now that, that need to uh, to be re reassured of what God is doing, to remind them that the God's signature is in their lives, no matter what circumstances they're facing. What can you do? This, this year, we wanted to impact both sides of the border. But for that, we need people. We need workers. We need workers that will go workers to go in the mission field. We have a mission uh, place here in, in the Rio Grande Valley that we have a place to stay for up to 15 people. So if somebody's coming, has a church that has a community that want to do missions at the border without crossing all the way into Mexico and other parts, we have a mission uh, place here for them camp. And then we will teach them how to do missions with these communities. And maybe we can use those connections that as they cross the border and go to up north, they can uh, continue their relationship with it. Wonderful. My understanding is that there are mission opportunities. You need volunteers. You need missionaries mm -hmm. uh, for both service in America and also Colombia in the future. I know there's some work being done there, too. We are going to need to conclude our time of discussion. It's been wonderful hearing your path of faith, your ministerial development, and the mission work that you and your wife Gladys are doing right there. I'd like to offer a word of prayer for you. Uh, maybe better yet, would you offer a prayer that would summarize today's conversation, and then we'll conclude. Pastor, would you do that for us? Sure. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessings, Lord, that we have received through your Son, Jesus Christ, who by the power of the Holy Spirit we now believe to be our Lord and Savior. Father, because all the things you have done for us, all the things you have become for us, Help us to become all things to all people in order to gain some people. We know, Lord, that in this life we will have troubles, but what a joyful trouble it is to live for the King. And, Lord, we pray that you will move our hearts and our minds to be able, Lord, to continue to spread this good news in the places you have perfectly positioned us, where we live, learn, work, and play to make a difference. In Jesus' name, we ask you, Lord, that you will bring workers to the fields, that you will provide for us all the finances that we need to support those ministries and we ask you lord that of your mercy this ministry of radio where we get to speak where we get to proclaim the good news will continue to be proclaiming the good news 
in those places where can the voice can only come and through their cell phones, through their social media. And we thank you, Lord, for these brothers. We pray that you will bless them immensely. And then as they are continuing to see this, Lord, being developed and being uh, outreaching people, we ask you, Lord, that you, you will keep them in the true faith and keep us, Lord, always mindful and reminded that you are with us always. Because this is your call. And this is your promise to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Franco. And this is Reverend Dr. Douglas Kringle. Say thank you for listening to Engaging Truth. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.